0: Welcome back, everybody. I am Jesse Mogul, and thank you for joining us on the American Contingency Podcast. We are a united nationwide community of steadfast Americans ready for any challenge that may come our way. We're here to inform, equip, and train you so you can be prepared to respond and recover from any man-made or natural disaster or situation. And back on the microphone with me is once again our esteemed leader, the Executive Director of American Contingency, Tom Rigsby.
1: Hey, Jesse. And for all of you listening, I promise I won't be the guest every time. Yeah. <laughs> we're just we're just rolling them out for the first few because he has
0: such a breadth of knowledge. So many amazing people work for the organization, and we're going to be rolling them out so you can get a little bit more of an idea of who you'll be dealing with when you become a member, and you will become a member because this is a nationwide network, and we do a great job of making sure people are informed, equipped, and trained. And that brings me to the question I ended, episode two. Two with, we have a humongous country, multiple temperate zones. I mean, we're all over the place. Border bordered, coast to coast, 350 some million people all around this amazing nation. It's insane to think about how you could have beautiful sunny skies in Southern California and a hurricane rolling up on Southern Florida, and also like a hellacious storm going through the Northeastern. And all of these different communities have different needs. How do we tailor our approach? to building resiliency and preparedness, to the unique needs and circumstances that these individuals will be experiencing from all these different places in our country?
1: Yeah, what a fantastic question. So I like to use the example of mobility when we talk about this. You know, mobility is the ability to get from point A to point B, simply stated. The challenges facing your mobility are very, very different if you live in the Northwest versus the Northeast. In the Northwest, in our Northwest region, you very literally could drive 8, 10, 12 hours and never pass another vehicle. Think about that in the Northeast Corridor. I mean, it would have to be some ridiculous zombie apocalypse yeah. for you to never pass another vehicle. Are these movies where, you know... New York City is devoid of any vehicles. Like, how do they even do that? Millions of dollars paid by Hollywood location managers to right. pay
0: the city of New York City to empty out Times Square.
1: <laughs> so so when we talk about mobility, what we do at the national level is say, okay, here are the things you need to think about. Here are the capabilities you need to build. You know, one of the things we talk about in mobility that a lot of people don't think about is navigation. A lot of our training is built around uh, an acronym called PACE, P-A-C-E, and it stands for Primary Alternate Contingency and Emergency. Well, our primary means of navigation is, you know, Google Maps or whatever. Well, what do you do after that? Just guess, (laughs) You, you know? Um, They used to make these things called folding maps. What? Are you talking about paper maps? And they were printed on paper, and you had to keep them in the glove box. That's, you know, a lot of people call that the map case. The point is, we need to think about all 12 categories of preparedness. But in, in the case of mobility, think about these capabilities within your context, right so i have to think about my context and then i have to think about what the risks are in my context when i'm thinking about mobility like we don't do snow here in the south right if if we have snow we just stay at home mm-hmm. right if you stayed at home when it snowed and you live in the northern latitudes buffalo you, you would never leave <laughs> never you, you know for 6 or 7 months out of, out of the year that's just not practical so that's a difference in context so what are the threats the mention of the word snow here is a threat because people will make a run on the grocery store to buy Milk, bread, and eggs, and I still don't understand why people want to eat French toast when it snows, but that's what they do. (laughs) And they don't buy
0: syrup. They're disgusting.
1: Cavemen. (laughs) We had that ice storm that rolled through
0: right around Christmas time, Mm -hmm. because I remember my girlfriend was trying to take her son somewhere, and she had to turn around, and she was like, there was trucks sliding off the road because they thought their tires were good to go, and guess what? Rubber meets the ice road. It is off. City.
1: Well, and and even the kinds of snow that we get are different in the different parts of the country. So, so what we do from a national level is we say, okay, here are the skills and capabilities you need to build to be able to be prepared in your area. Now, you take these capabilities, combine that with your context and your risks, and you come up with a mitigation plan for it. So it's all about context, risk, and mitigation. And... You know, take this input, we'll cue you, we'll give you a cue and say, okay, how do you navigate without cell phone um, in the snow? Go, right? And then help you come up with a mitigation plan for that. That's how we address that. And, you know, we, we've generally divided the country up into six categories, or six regions, rather. And even that's not perfect, right? But it's just from a functional, operational, managerial perspective, it it makes it a little bit easier. Mobility in the southeast, medical care in the southeast, right, versus the north. Here, we worry a lot about snakes and heat exhaustion or heat stroke. And we get those spiders. Uh, Spiders, yes. Girlfriend got bit by a brown recluse, that messed her up for a whole month. Um, So, you know, learning how to recognize those, how to treat those in a field expedient or an austere environment, and then how to transport, you know, a broken arm. A broken arm in Wyoming is very different than a broken arm in in downtown Philly.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me think of when those huge nor'easters roll up in there and you hear, you know, Buffalo gets six feet of snow and you're like, well, there's are some areas of Vermont that got that same six feet of snow. And those people are out in the middle of nowheresville. Mm-hmm. At least in Buffalo, they have the ice machines and the snow plows. Like, they're used to it. A buffalo can recover from a blizzard pretty gosh darn fast. I'm not so sure 200 miles away from, you know, Burlington. So well, Burlington. Burlington. Or or take really?
1: Northern California. I mean yeah. really, it right, well, wasn't even Northern, there. it was uh, uh Arrowhead, Lake Arrowhead. Got snow that completely covered the houses. And and the unfortunate thing in that scenario is that a lot of the people in that area were are renters. I mean, they were, you know, Airbnb at that weekend uh-huh. and had snow dumped on them. They didn't come with three weeks worth of food. No. They didn't come with vehicles equipped to be able to traverse that kind of...
0: That I've been kind of, to Big Bear up there. Right. To first, just getting up that mountain, they'll shut it down if you get there after the storm's already hit. But if you're up there, you're there. You're there. And the grocery store may not be able to open because all the right. locals can't get there. And we've been up there, and we've taken enough food for two or three days, but we were not prepared for two or three weeks.
1: Right. right. So it can so be it, intense. It, You you have to – and, you you know, we talked in the last episode about it's a mindset game and and how I think through the risks and, in doing so, come up with a plan. And the plan, you know, may or may not work, but the planning process is priceless. If you think through that, you'll go, oh, I should check the weather. Mm -hmm. I should go on the Amcon website and check the weather, see what the risk is going to be for the next, you know, weekend – And then I'll know whether I should take a couple of days worth of food or just, you know, have some long-term food in the trunk just in case. You've talked about confidence a
0: couple of times, and it's really a focus we have by, you know, getting the plan together. It provides you confidence, even if you have to be flexible, which we push a lot of Mm -hmm. being flexible. And so when we think about how our work as a nationwide network is impacting people's emotional and psychological resilience, this adversity quotient, we're, we're, We're providing them a level of confidence through the planning process. And even if the plan goes sideways because Mike Tyson punches you in the face, at least there's a level of confidence. How is Amcon and how are you noticing it specifically, Amcon's impact helping people with this emotional and psychological resilience in order to bring
1: about this confidence? You know, it's a funny question because, um, you know, we talk about helping people go from anxiety to confidence. And and a lot of people find us when they become anxious about having a crisis in their life. And then we help them become confident that they can face that crisis. And then they're like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, um, it, it's a lifelong iterative process. And, you know, people who have been through multiple crises in their life understand this and understand how... You, you know, one death in the family is very different than another death in the family. One car accident is very different than another car accident. You know, we have two daughters. One of them had a wreck and, and hit a deer and called me and was, you know, oh, I've hit a deer, i, I did in my car, you know, what do I do? And our other daughter had a wreck and someone else called me and said, are you the family of Carly? Yes. Well, she's been in an accident. And the fire department's here cutting her out of the car. Those are two very different moments. Yeah.
0: Very two different emotional feelings there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I had daughters. I was prepared for the, oh, I hit a deer. I don't, I don't know what to do. It never even occurred to me that somebody else might call because she couldn't. Yeah. Never even crossed my mind. But now, now, you know, when I get a a local call from a number that, you know, should, might be, you know, a a responding agency, I immediately do an inventory in my head. Where is everybody? Yeah. You know, is anybody I know in out of position and and, or, or doing something different? Can I get to? I mean, that was a big deal just for. You know, and our, our younger daughter had her accident. Where do we go? What do we do? Yeah. What What do you do with the car? I mean, you know, most of the time you have a little fender bender or something. You know, you can get a wrecker a, a to come get it. You, you have a family member come pick it up, help you drive it back. I mean, her car was Xylophone. literally, I, I mean, folded, spindled, and mutilated. And, I, you know, one of the questions I asked the person that called was like, what do I need to do about the car? You know, and she said, Don't worry about the car. You need to go to the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, in that moment, I, I think back to that moment now, just telling that story, you know, my brain was going through all these checklists, trying to find one that fit that moment. And there wasn't one. Yeah. And so it was just pulling bits and pieces from everything that even sounded remotely correct in that moment. You know, there was another instance where I was leaving the airport one night. I'd flown in and been traveling. I was, fl- I was back home about an hour away from from home. As I'm coming up the on-ramp to the freeway, I can see blue lights up ahead. It's about 1 o'clock in the morning. And as I get up there, I I realize that there's maybe half a dozen cars that have run over something on the freeway and just shredded all four of their tires. And I remember looking at that and thinking, Man, I thought I was prepared because I have a spare. You know, a spare would get me twenty five percent of the way there. <laughs> yeah, you, you <laughs> know. Um, so, so even flat tires are not created equal. Yes. And, and so, there's always this iterative process that we can go through. To okay, I made it through that one. What can I do better next time?
0: It's interesting when we start walking the audience through some of these things that you've experienced, that I've experienced. Until somebody goes through something, it can be extremely difficult to impress upon them the utmost importance it is to step into this level of preparedness and readiness. Because they they don't have a direct memory and association mm-hmm. that they can call upon that says, you're right, this one time I didn't have electricity for 11 days. This one time I got a late night phone call. This one time I saw people with shredded tires. Then it, I started to think about The word prepper gets thrown around in a derogatory term as if everybody who is prepared and ready somehow also has an underground bunker in the middle of nowhere, Idaho. When you come across people who have these misconceptions about what it is like to be prepared because they haven't had to reach into the depths of themselves to pull their family and themselves out of chaos, what are some amusing misconceptions you have heard from other people, and how do you approach those not in a fear-mongering way, because that's not what Amcon's about, but in a hey, are you sure you've seen this from all different perspectives that could one day come a knocking?
1: Let me just tap in passing fear-mongering. We don't fear-monger. Uh-uh. Fear-mongering is saying, oh, the boogeyman is coming, and then just leave it hanging there. Yeah, mainstream media does that for us. We're good. Right. So we'll say, oh, the boogeyman is coming. Here's your checklist that you need to follow when he gets here.
0: (laughs) And and
1: one of us has probably written that story. Right. Um, You know, some of the humorous things. You know, the TV show didn't help us a whole lot, help our our image. There was a TV show on history or discovery or something. Yeah. And uh, the thumbnail for that is, you know, this guy wearing a gas mask and (laughs) Uh, I don't have a gas mask. I've got a respirator, but I don't have a gas mask. Don't have an underground bunker. Although I got a basement, uh, you know where we keep. We do stuff. live around tornadoes. I mean, we were shopping for houses
0: recently, and we came across houses that had built in some level of underground bunker in their garage. Yeah, slid open. It was super sweet, super dope. And I remember thinking, you know what? I mean. That doesn't seem absurd to me. Now, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would have lived in Los Angeles, and all of a sudden how there would be riots and earthquakes at 3 in the morning, and you're thinking, ah, I would take an underground
1: bunker but right in, now. But in L.A., when you go to buy a dining room table, the thought crosses your mind... Is this something I could get under? Absolutely. I would because not buy. Because your, your context and your threat yes. profile are different there. Yes, I don't I don't think that. about that here, but you would think about that in L.A.
0: Don't buy a dining room table that's got one of those center pieces where the legs come out. because And a glass top. Right. Glass top. Definitely Bad. not happening. <laughs> and if it's got the middle thing and then it, the legs spread out, if you... Put a heavy weight on one end of it; it'll actually tip. Right. So you want something that's got all four legs around each one of the corners, right. because there is the potential that you will one day have to climb out of rubble and from underneath that table.
1: I, I you know, I, I think that maybe the most humorous, although I don't know that it's humorous as much as it is unfortunate um, misconceptions about preparedness is that um, you know we're all conspiracy theorists. Not jobs. Well, no, a nicer way to say it. Yeah. You know? um, the, but that's the, pretty
0: nice. That's, that's polite. Well, <laughs> you know, we've heard that. We right. have people in our family who have said that about us.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's okay. Guess who will be the first ones knocking on the they, door? Becoming, right.
1: And, and, you <laughs> did know, you bring any water? My answer is what did you bring with you? <laughs> um, you know, it, it's unfortunate because it, Causes people to be dismissive of preparedness,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and I don't care what people think about me. I you know, I, I'm sure lots of people have opinions. The guy I cut off in traffic probably has an opinion of me. <laughs> you know, I don't care. It's not changing my day, um, but. If it causes someone to go, well, they're just a bunch of crazies. I'm not, I don't need any part of that. Then that's unfortunate because yeah. it pre- it prevents someone from taking the steps they need to be better prepared for themselves and their family. It does. And, you know, more than anything else, I want, at least in relation to this, I want people to know that it's not crazy. 60, 70 years ago, it was very much a way of life. Yes, um, go almost a hundred, well, ninety years ago. Now, e- you know, the families that were not prepared didn't eat yet when the Great Depression happened, and and that went on for a long time. Long I mean it's time. ten years. And you know, if you didn't have some basic skills, you didn't make it. Yeah, <laughs> survival of the fittest. Of I mean that uh, again. I mean that's a pretty harsh reality, but but that's. It's it is the way of life, and you know we've we've become accustomed to oh something's wrong. I'm having a I'm I'm having what I believe to be a crisis in my life. Let me call somebody to come fix it. There might not be anybody who's able to come fix it
0: again, heard this in our family. Oh, if something goes sideways, you know, we'll just wait for FEMA. Again, I don't want to be the first person or even the 1,000th person in that line waiting for toilet paper and paper towels to be thrown to me like a basketball or even some bottles of water. Like, do I at least have enough to get me through the first three to seven days? Let me figure out how to regroup then, walk over to your house, whatever that might look like. The last thing I want to be doing is looking, you know, at my refrigerator like, well, if I open that thing up, all the food's going to Spoil, and even if I opened it, how am I going to cook anything, anyways? Like that just seems like, again, not fear mongering, but that there's there's one
1: hundred and fifty dollars solves that problem. Let me let me give to a certain extent. Let me give you a quick story. So we you know we had family members that lived in a uh, super major metropolitan area, right? Uh, That was prone to hurricanes, and I suggested to them at one point maybe you should pick a spot that's maybe 50, 60, 100 miles north or west of where you live and go there and rent a storage unit and just put some totes with some clothes, maybe a couple of cans of gas. When you see that it's coming, it, I, you know I, I told somebody the other day, if you think it's time to leave, if you think it might be time to leave, you should already be gone mm-hmm. yeah if you're right. thirsty if you're already it, di- if, if you're, you're yeah if if you're thinking, man things are getting bad maybe maybe we all leave, you should already be gone so at the first clue that it's time to leave, just get in the car. You don't have to get clothes together. You don't have to worry about getting gas because the other five million people in your metro are all going to be doing the same thing. You can just drive, mm-hmm. get to your storage unit, restock, and then and then move out from there. You know, I, recently I, I had the opportunity to talk with some people about go bags and, and backpacks. And I kind of relayed to them I keep on me in my pockets. Like right now, I've got a pocket knife, a Swiss army knife, uh, and, and some other things in my pockets. These are the things that I need to get to my backpack. My backpack gets me to the car. The car gets me to where I need to go next. Right. And so you just stage forward. Right. So I shared this advice about, you know, rent a storage unit, just come up with a semblance of a plan. It doesn't have to be a great plan. Well, that's crazy. Why would we do that? You know, the kids will outgrow the clothes, and then we get there, and the clothes won't fit. And the gas will go bad after. I'm like, okay, keep throwing down every problem that you got. But I was there during Katrina. I was there during Rita. I saw people walking down the interstate. There is a major, major hurricane coming, and you're walking. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where you want to be? <laughs> I laugh because of the absurdity of the lack of
0: preparedness in that situation. So how do you handle that with humor and grace whenever you're giving actionable advice? It's not that absurd. They could absolutely afford the storage unit. They could get out there, have their gas, refill the car. Now they're further away from the mayhem so they could even get more gas, more supplies. Right. How do you handle it, the humor and grace? Because... My concern is that people will want to get prepared. They'll want to start getting ready. They'll want to discuss this with the family. Now people are going to be like, oh, great. But Put on your tinfoil hat. We're all going to be taken over by hurricane aliens. And then they're not going to talk about it to the family because they're afraid of the humiliation. Then they may or may not even continue to get prepared. And if they do, they're not sharing how they're preparing with the family. So they can also be prepared. Do you hear how the
1: snake eats the tail on this one? Yes. Oh, absolutely. All the time. I mean, this... This is a hundred percent of the problem in mean, sharknado, by the way. It's oh, sharknado. Okay. Um, a hundred percent, right? Because somebody will hit that anxious moment. They're like, Oh man, what if that happened to us? And then husbands and wives won't even talk about it. I'll just, I'll just start, I'll just start squirreling some stuff away over here and, and maybe he won't find it. She won't see it, won't recognize it on the credit card. Rather than saying, hey, you know what? I saw this on the news. I'm concerned about what we would do if that happened to us. Let's sit down and make a plan. And the fear is that, well, if we say anything about this to our significant other, to our friends, family, and neighbors, they will say, oh, prepper, prepper, right? And there's all this negative connotation, which is, you know, brings me back to, that's the unfortunate thing about that stereotyping. I grew up on a farm. We didn't go to town and buy another one when something broke. Mm-mm. Number one, we didn't have the money to do that. Number two, that just wasn't the way we thought about fixing problems.
0: That, that's, that's where the whole idea of, of a jury rigging or jerry rigging, if you're a
1: grateful deadhead, comes from. Like, you, if it breaks, you fix it. Let me, let me tell you, my granddad was a cotton farmer, and he needed another cotton wagon well, he didn't have the money to buy one, so you know what he did? I'm going to say go with made a cotton. Water he again. built one. We went and bought the lumber and the wire and a trailer chassis, and we built one. And by the way, we built that in the afternoon and evening after we had finished working all the work we needed to do on the farm. That's the mindset that I bring to it. Not everybody brings that experience to life their experience might be you know if there's a problem you call somebody right if the water heater breaks you call somebody if it springs a leak you buy a new one no i take it apart get the file out rub it down put a little jb weld on there and hey we're good got another year out of it right and and, um it's a it's a mindset thing i'm not saying that the Um, that the immediate gratification, call somebody to fix it thing is bad. If we have infrastructure, you know, like we talk about communications all the time. And I tell people, you know what? Best communication device you got your cell phone. If it's working, let's use that. Yeah. You know, could we send a message over ham radio. Could we do smoke signals or semaphore flags or a tin can with a string? I'm looking sure forward to we could, carrier pigeons, but doggone it. This thing works great. And I can call anybody on the face of the planet. Yes. So let's, let's just do that. So if I'm in an accident, if I break an arm, I'm going to call an ambulance. But what I want people to be prepared for is if they say, okay, we'll be there in two hours. well. Now, what am I going to do? That's what I want people to think about. If the infrastructure is there, if the services are there, fine, use them. I encourage people to do that, but don't be dependent on them.
0: Makes me think of the emergency Mylar blankets and tents I have in my trunk, And just in case. I mean, again, we're in North Alabama, and before I was in Southern California, probably not rolling into a blizzard condition where I have to survive overnight in my car. But I also get in my vehicle and drive places to on little holidays and trips, and that's just something I know is there. It gets me thinking about resources and tools. Pretty sure you just hinted upon it. This opening sentence like, hey, you know, I saw on the news the other day, or hey, this popped up on my phone, this one thing happened here. Is that a good way for people to start having a conversation about preparedness in their own home? Because that bottom line, the question I want to ask is, what is one thing somebody could say to introduce preparedness as just a thought in their home? And I believe the, hey, I saw this on the news the other day is a really great way to just Passively bring it up without saying, I'd like to go buy 500 gallons of water and 100 gallons of gas.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, start with five gallons of water. Um, No, that is maybe one of the best questions because you can ask friends, family, neighbors, strangers. I wrote this in one
0: of the articles on how to talk to your neighbors about being prepared in just a simple. I mean, I have this conversation.
1: You you know, you talk to your neighbors about the news anyway. Right. Uh Hey, did you see that train derailment? You know, we've got a train track less than a mile from here. Oh, well, You can hear it whenever it goes by the house. Yeah. What if they had a derailment and had a chemical spill over there? What would we do? If we got a call, if the sheriff came and knocked on the door and said, hey, there's been a derailment over here, you need to be gone in 30 minutes. Right? And, and one of the examples that I use a lot is now is the time that you need to be having conversations with your significant other about, Which wedding pictures are you taking and which ones are you not? And, and, you know, all of these things that sit around the house that people put a high degree of importance on. When somebody comes and says, you have to leave now. I'm standing here at the door until you get in your car and leave. Get what you got to get and get out. What are you going to take?
0: Man, I I mean, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for that. Right. And in fact, the moment you ask it, my brain starts thinking, well, the things I want are not in one area. Right. They don't
1: have to be in one area, but you need to know what they are. You better have a list. If you're going to, if you're, if you have great grandma's picture on the wall, on the wall, or do you leave it? Have you scanned it? If you leave it and you never get to come back, is it gone forever? Right. Where's your, where's your birth certificate? Where's your wedding certi- or marriage certificate? Where's your shot records? Where's your passport? Right, people would freak out if somebody knocked on the door and said, "You got 30 minutes to get out." And that's exactly what happened in Ohio when the train derailed, it started, you know, they started burning off this, these toxic chemicals, right? It, and it's again something completely outside of your control. The event is not within your control. Your response is.
0: Mm, That's a great, powerful, that's the powerful statement. So given the current state of affairs in the United States, the trajectory of our country is being questioned by many. I'm super curious to hear your thoughts on what's giving you hope for the Mm -hmm. future. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I see where this is going. I have an idea. Let's stop the episode here and let's pick it back up for part three.
1: Okay, some game.
0: Excelente. All right. We'll see you guys over there. When you are ready to build the skills, the network, and the confidence to be ready for whatever comes next, join us at AmericanContingency.com. Talk to you next time, which is literally coming up right away. Bye-bye.